Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is an industry update, seven real world lessons we learned on succession planning, a conversation with Lewis Diamond on next gens, the art of co-leadership and future proofing your firm. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you're not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. Almost every journey in business starts the same way. An ambitious entrepreneur dreams of building an enterprise that will stand the test of time. However, I've seen far too many business owners, particularly those in the wealth management space, achieve their dreams of building a successful business, yet fail to recognize the need to create a succession plan. Why is that? Well, the concept of succession planning is one that many often view as a means to an end, designed to fill a gap for an outgoing leader to ensure continuity. While that is one outcome of such a plan, there's much more to it. The real intent of succession planning is to future-proof the business by developing a strategic guide that builds upon the leader's vision with a focus on sustainable scale and continual growth for the future of the firm. As the founder of a firm that has counseled financial advisors and firm owners on finding their best business lives since 1998, I've been keenly aware of the need to look more closely at our own business, where we are today, and our vision for tomorrow. Our own succession journey started nearly six years ago when my son, Lewis Diamond, joined the team. And from where I sit, it's been both a humbling and educational experience. At the time, it wasn't a given that Lewis would take over the business. He had a lot to learn about the consulting practice I'd built over two decades, and I needed to gain the confidence that he would embrace and espouse our firm's core values. Ultimately, it was an on-the-job proving ground where the next-gen successor could establish himself as both a team player and a leader, and prove himself he did. I'm thrilled to say that today we announced that Lewis will assume the role and responsibility of president of Diamond Consultants, while I retain the title of chief executive officer, serving as co-leaders to drive the firm into its next chapter. Lewis will focus on turning our practice into a streamlined enterprise. I'll focus on continuing to help fill our industry's knowledge gap by writing and publishing perspective and commentary and will both continue to serve as trusted counsel to the industry's top financial advisors. And this co-leadership concept is one that I think many business owners might find as the right next step for their firm. Because as I said earlier, the thought of succession planning makes one think that a senior leader has reached the end of the road. On the contrary, 
In our case, we see it instead as a new opportunity to divide and conquer, increasing our capabilities and reach, and making ourselves better and more accessible than ever before. This succession planning process has truly been an education for us. Even our own knowledge combined with the guidance of trusted counsel could not have prepared us for several important trial by fire lessons. So I thought it would be helpful to share these real world lessons with you. Seven key learnings that may be helpful to advisors and firm owners who are embarking upon their own succession planning journey. Let's get to it. Welcome, Lewis. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe this day is actually happening. <laughs> so as you can imagine, this is an exciting show for us, and I'm glad to share the news and some of our experiences. So let's start at the top. Lesson number one, find the right fit. While having a family member to step into the role is nice, it's not always possible or the right choice. Don't look for a clone of yourself. Instead, choose someone who shares your values and sensibilities, even though they may differ in style, experience, or knowledge. Ultimately, the successor needs to be motivated to take on the role and not feel pushed by another's agenda. That is, they have to really want it. So, Lewis, let me ask you a question. I know for you, when you first came into the business, you were so jazzed by the notion of being a recruiter. You loved it from day one. And I think it was hard for you to imagine at the time and hard for me to imagine at the time that you would want to step into a leadership role. So what changed? When did that change? And how did that change? Yeah, it's a great point. And I think you're right. Until, honestly, not even that long ago, I thought that my calling or my unique ability was just in working with advisors, working on deals, because that was really what drove me. And that's why I got out of bed every day. I think a couple of things happened, though, to really demonstrate a shift in my not just excitement and stepping up to be a leader, but also realizing that it was it was my calling and it was something that I could be equally as good at. I think the first thing was I realized that I didn't have to be Mindy Diamond, that of course, we share DNA. And one of the reasons we work so well together is because we think very similarly. But Mindy Diamond has major, major shoes to fill. And once I realized that I didn't have to do everything the exact same way as you did, um, and I can really make my mark on this business in my own way, it gave me, I think, ownership over the future. And that was, I think, a prerequisite to wanting it, was knowing that I can do it my way and that I was going to do things, some things better than you did, and of course, there are things that you would always do better than me, but that it's okay because we filled our team with people that are really good at the things that I don't love or I'm not as good at. The other thing was from day one, I found that you always gave me room to run. I was able to be my own person. I was never micromanaged. And the same thing goes in the leadership side. I know it must be very difficult to relinquish the reins sometimes and to step back because this business has been has been your, your third child for 20 plus years, and you started it like a terrific captain. But having the ability to make mistakes on my own and create my own agenda, um, I think has emboldened me to step up. And then I'll give you two quick examples of where it kind of sunk in that, okay, I wanted more. Um, the first was when we hired Ali Brunwasser, um, one of our um, 
one of our consultants. She was the first, I would say, next generation team member that we had brought on and that was closer in, in age in age to me. And I realized just the power and the excitement of bringing new and dynamic people into the organization and that if we do this right, we can really create a sustainable enterprise. The second moment was when I took the lead on a project. We were creating a document called our Merrill Lynch Frequently Asked Questions. And it was an idea that I came up with and was allowed to see from the creation of the idea to the development of it and then to implementation. And it's been a really impactful tool for advisors. Feel free to request it if you'd like. But that showed me that, okay, I can do this. I can make a mark. It may not be exactly the same way that Mindy would, but that's okay because my unique contributions are going to be valued. Thank you for sharing that. I will tell you for all of our listeners who are parents on a mother-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter, father-son team, you have to know how hard it is sometimes to have relinquished the reins and to allow especially your child to make mistakes without stepping in to try and micromanage it. It was hard for me, but what I began to realize over time was the more I empowered you, the more you stepped up and owned it. And we'll talk a little more about that in a second. But the second lesson we learned, do a test run. Empower the next gen to lead important projects or work with key team members as a way of identifying their readiness for the responsibility. This will also allow you to spot any additional training or coaching that might be necessary. Lois, how did this one go? What were some of the roadblocks you ran into? Yeah, so I think one of the early roadblocks was just prioritizing certain aspects of the job. It's intoxicating as advisors listening to this know to go after new business, to work with clients and to be in the business. So one roadblock was just taking time to work, uh, to work on the business and freeing up time to focus on building the business, not just for my own personal self, but for our team members and for many generations to come, hopefully. I think to this point on a test run, I think it happened with us. It was, I believe, in 2019, in the winter. I had decided to spend more time away from the office and was going to just work remotely for a period of time. And during that time period, I was indirectly kind of put in charge of the office. And that really gave me, I think, permission to kind of do my own thing and step up. And that was one of the, the first kind of test cases of, okay, like from my standpoint, I like this, I'm confident in it. But also from from Indy's standpoint that, okay, the, the place didn't burn down and everything's still kind of going according to plan. So, Lewis, let me ask you a follow-up question to that. In that example, and probably many others, were you worried about being a young person stepping into a leadership role and managing people that in many cases were decades older than you? Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. With our business, most of our team, they've been trusted employees of ours and partners for some cases, 17 or 18 years. So these were folks that knew me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. So there's definitely an element of, um, I guess, giving myself permission, but also seeking indirect permission from our team members that, okay, it's okay to give direction and to lead. I think what gave me the, the personal feeling that it was okay was that I developed, I think relatively quickly, just a love for this business and a competency. And while again, I didn't do things exactly the same way as Mindy, 
Um, it was pretty clear from early on that when it comes to working on deals, working on M&A transactions and counseling advisors, that it was just a unique gift of mine. So my style of leadership is oftentimes leading on competency and just understanding the industry and understanding our clients or our solution set better than most. And that was my contribution. So it was a different way than Mindy led the firm. And I think that was kind of the way I eased myself in was to kind of start small and then see people's feedback and then become more comfortable and gain more of an understanding of what sort of leadership the company needed. Yeah, hard, I imagine. And I watched you evolve into that over time with more confidence and confidence. Let's look at number three. Planning and preparation are essential. The decision to assign a successor is not one to be taken lightly. It all starts with having well-defined goals for now and the future. Discuss it first with senior leadership and trusted colleagues. Prepare both an internal narrative as well as external communications plan to ensure that all stakeholders are aware and feel comfortable with any transition processes. Lewis, you're the planner. What did this process look like? What are some of the steps that you and we took to move that ball forward? Yeah, so I think it started, I would say, two years ago, where we had a conversation amongst our leadership team about just kind of shifting expectations and about your desire to work differently in the business, that the marketing side of the business, content development, representing the top and best teams in the industry, that was your northern light. And that many other aspects of the business, while still important, they weren't necessarily driving you every day. So giving me, I think, the early heads up, probably about two years ago, that you were looking to me to gradually kind of step into more of a role really prepared me. If it had been just the big bang, wake up one day and boom, this is what you're doing, it would have been very different. But having the chance to kind of try it on for size, as we talked about, and just kind of find my way but gradually, but also just with tons and tons of support and mentorship from you was critical. I also started doing the strategic coach program ran by Dan Sullivan started last year. And that's given me a lot of tools and frameworks and just a network of people to bounce ideas off of. And that was important. And then I think the, the last two things is one, just, just reading a lot of books on leadership, on strategy and on business. And that's given me my own kind of arsenal or toolbox of ideas that I can implement. And when it comes to getting to this point today, we took a number of months just to plan what my roles and responsibilities would be, lots of conversations and strategy sessions. And then we wanted to make sure that the messaging around what was happening was exactly as it was intended to be, that this isn't about Mindy retiring or, or her fading off into the sunset. If anything, it's about her staying more involved in the business, but just allowing me to grow the business differently. So that was a couple of things that we did. Yeah. So with your permission, Lewis, I'm going to tell a story that's going to make us all laugh. I actually, about seven or eight months ago, woke up one morning and all of a sudden literally said, oh my God, Lewis should be the president. I walked out of my bedroom. I shared it with my husband, Howard, with your dad. And he looked at me, not that he didn't think it was a good idea, but it was sort of an idea out of left field. We had never really talked about it before. A couple of hours later, because I'm up early, I called you and said, hey, what do you think? What did you think at that time? Yeah, I have to admit when you called me early in the morning to share that, I was definitely taken aback. I was a little bit flabbergasted when I hung up the phone. And I really had to 
let it sink in for a couple of days. But just the more I thought about it, the more it actually felt right. I kind of gave myself permission to celebrate it briefly, then also just to realize that if it wasn't for something like this, I would have been kind of just plateaued. So it gave me an ability to increase my responsibilities and also my capabilities by kind of stretching for the next role. Okay, let's move to the next one. Number four, communicate, communicate, communicate. The transition should be an open and inclusive process for your whole team, not just leadership. Communicate the details of the plan to team members with transparency and authenticity, advising them of any impact on the firm's short and long-term strategies and their individual roles. There will always be staff members who are afraid of change, making it even more critical that the message is delivered with sensitivity, that it's clear on how they will benefit from this evolution, and that there's an open door for them to voice any concerns along the way. So communication has always been my baby. And I'll weigh in here and then I'd love to hear what you think, Lewis. I think that while even I felt a little nervous to come to a staff meeting, our staff meeting probably five months ago and say to the team, here's what's happening. We're going to be promoting Lewis to the role of president. Um, The reason I was scared was because, or apprehensive was because I was worried that the team wouldn't believe me that I was just going to fade off into the sunset and that I was sort of leaving the business high and dry. And I realized that because I had communicated in the right way, giving everyone confidence about the reason for the change. And the reason was to make us better, not because I was looking to retire, literally to make us better. Um, They embraced it as well. Probably might have taken some of them a little time to come to it, but nobody questioned it. And I think everybody supported it 100%. Lewis, I guess a good question for you is, I remember saying to you at the time, yeah, it's not going to happen for five or six months, but we need to let the team know what's going to be happening. We need to give them time to digest it just like we are. Tell me what you thought about that and what were your thoughts about communicating it to the staff? Yeah, I think I shared similar a similar fear as you that I just wasn't sure, or I guess I was uh, paranoid about how folks would receive it. So I was delighted that everyone was very supportive and encouraging of it. And I think the key was exactly what you said. This was meant to make the business better, and it was meant to reallocate ourselves to parts of the business that we're both passionate about. So, But I do think giving our team um, the requisite amount of a heads up and kind of including them in the process was important. So it wasn't just a surprise one day. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the next one, number five, respecting roles and boundaries. I know for me, as Lewis's mother, this was a hard one. It takes time to drop the mother-son or father-daughter relationship at the office. And families are not alone here. It can be difficult for anyone with a long-standing bond of senior to next-gen. It's essential to find ways to draw clear lines between personal and business relationships and be mindful that he or she has a job to do, which is completely unrelated to any personal connection you may have. And likewise, make sure you commit to a clear roadmap for responsibilities. Your company's journey can't move forward if you're not clear on who's doing what. So, um, Lewis, I want to ask you a question about that one. I remember having a conversation very early on. I shared a thought with you 
you were annoyed with me. You didn't like it. And you went back to your desk seething because you didn't want to deal with the hassle of sharing with me what you're feeling, which was probably sort of an old narrative of being a little boy and not wanting to deal with me as your mother. And can you share with with the listeners what I said to you and how we wound up resolving that? Yeah, I can picture the exact moment, actually, and you're right. It was just like a reversion to the childhood of naturally wanting to rebel against authority and against parent. The way we resolved it was we locked ourselves in a conference room and just sat down. And very matter-of-factly, you said to me, look, you may be frustrated with me, but we have to draw a line in the sand now between um, me being being your mother and me being your boss. And even though I want your input, there's definitely going to be times where I'm going to I'm going to give you something to do relative to the business. And as an employee, not yet as a partner, um, you you got to do it. You have to trust that I know what I'm doing with this business. That was one piece of it. The other piece was just agreeing at that time that any sort of disagreement ill will, negative feelings would have to be shared and have to be aired out so that it wouldn't drag down. Because one of the biggest things to us was business is important, but our family is even more important. And the last thing we wanted, even if it meant having a successful business, was damaging our incredible personal relationship and the family that dynamic that we've created all these years. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I think it's important to share that we're talking about a family dynamic here, but I have to imagine that it's pretty hard for, in a non-family situation, oftentimes for the younger generation to find the courage to find their voice with the older generation, even when it's not a family member. I think that's exactly right. Uh, We see it all the time with our advisor clients. And one more quick thing I forgot to mention, because I think it's it's important, especially for bringing back the family teams. The day before I joined, I remember we spoke and we came to the mutual agreement that in a professional setting, I would refer to you as Mindy instead of mom. It was initially kind of funny and trivial that it didn't weird to call you Mindy after calling you mom all these years. But what that did, it really made me feel like, okay, I'm just Lewis. I'm a recruiter. I'm a consultant. And I'm a team member at Diamond Consultants. I'm not always just Mindy's son. The same thing goes when referring to Mindy and my father, Howard, professionally. It gives me an extra layer of confidence that it's not nepotism at play and that Mindy is actually a business partner in this context. It's not just my, my mother. Yeah, I think that's fair enough for sure. Okay, number six, don't micromanage. Let them make their own mark. It's critical to let the next gen find their own way. And this was another tough one for me, really tough. While they may not handle a situation the same way you would, you'll find it often ends with the same conclusion and the next gen may even get there faster than you might have. Keep in mind that no one is perfect, so let them learn from their mistakes and develop their own style in the process. So hard for me, Lewis, because probably one of the hardest things for a parent is to watch their child make a mistake or be less than perfect for worry that they would fail. And so as your mother, my instinct was always to protect you from failure. As your boss early on and then your business partner, I knew that it was critical instinctively critical 
to allow you to forge your own path that if I micromanage you, you would leave. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think naturally, and I, I guess I got to credit my father for this. I'm pretty stubborn. And, and if I'm told to do something, my natural inclination is to not do it or to push back against it, to try to make it my own. So it's, I think it's always important to let the next generation make their own mark and make mistakes and kind of do it their own way. But in our case too, just a personal, I guess, character defect is being overly stubborn. So this was a necessary prerequisite. If I was micromanaged and told I had to do everything exactly one way, I don't think it would have worked. I wouldn't have found as much joy in this business as I do. And quite honestly, I wouldn't have been as good at it because like we were saying earlier, there's many things that I'm good at that maybe are not your strong suit and certainly vice versa. You're incredible at most things and I'm not going to do it the same way. Um, So that was a critical ingredient. Yeah. And I think it brings us to our last point, number seven, be open-minded. The future of any firm lives in new ideas and opportunities free of insular thoughts and complacency. It's important that everyone remains receptive to new ideas, processes, and even advice. For instance, as the first-gen leader, you'll need to resist getting stuck in the past and open your mind to ideas designed to energize the firm for both the near-term and to future-proof it for the long-term. And likewise, the next-gen may be striving to go it alone, reluctant to reach out for help. And that's one I'd love for you to weigh in on, Lewis. Being headstrong or inflexible will not make for a healthy transition. Focus instead on objectivity and acceptance. So let me start there. The notion of reaching out for help, Lewis. I think I remember it seeming, it felt to me it was hard for you to ask for help because you were so determined to prove to me that you had it, that to ask for help may have felt like a sign of weakness. Yeah, I think that's right in in many respects. And it wasn't just that it felt like a sign of weakness and that it was kind of like admitting that I needed help, which was just hard personally. I just love the work I do. And naturally, I wanted to kind of figure stuff out and troubleshoot and kind of make my own mark. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. And just you gave me space to be me. And part of that, and I guess it was taking it a little bit too far, was not necessarily always raising my hand when I really could have used your perspective or guidance. I think we've gotten better at it. And you're really good at, in a non-pushy or overstepping way, really recognizing through your superior emotional intelligence, like what I need, whether it's suggesting working with business coaches or whether it's saying to take a day off or it's suggesting we hire a consultant to do something. Um, You've given me, I think, the ability to think about the business in a whole new way. And even if I'm not as good at raising my hand and coming to you for assistance, which I need to get better at, you're able to recognize where I need help and are very, very honest to a T. Um, about what I might need to improve upon. And I think our relationship is as strong as it is personally and professionally because you give me feedback and maybe I won't like it to begin with, like most people, but I'll take it in. And I recognize that while you may not be 100% right, when it comes to Diamond Consultants and the business of counseling advisors, you're probably right 98.7% of the time. And that's a pretty good odds to, to bet on. That to me has been a critical ingredient. Yeah. 
you know, we're talking about being open-minded. So I'll share a story that I'd like for you to embellish on, Lewis, that I had set us up on a CRM system many years ago, probably 18 years ago, just after I had started the business. And it is clearly an outdated and antiquated system. Yet for me, it was more than good enough because I'm terrified of owning new, um, of being overwhelmed by new technology in particular. But maybe you can talk a little bit about our transition to a new CRM and sort of how that relates to the notion of being open-minded. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing was I came to the conclusion a number of years ago, actually, that our current technology stack was far from ideal. It worked well enough similar to how many times an advisor's current situation works well enough. Business was growing, we're successful, and if we don't do anything, no one's going to get hurt and everything will be fine. But realizing that we had grander aspirations for our business and we needed to really drag our business more into the 21st century, I raised my hand and said, I think we should do some diligence on changing CRM systems. And if anyone's done that, and any advisor who's transitioned has kind of had to do that on the fly, it's it's quite the haul. But I was given permission to do the research, do the homework, make the business case. And not surprisingly, once I put in that work and brought it to Mindy and the rest of our leadership team, they were very supportive. Um, so I've taken the lead on implementing our new CRM system. It's called it's called Sugar. The, the vision was, and, and part of it was, aligning the day-to-day responsibilities of Diamond Consultants to Mindy's vision. I view that as being my new primary role, is taking the strategy and vision that Mindy has in her head and verbalizes and putting it into action. And since we're very marketing forward in our organization, since we want to find efficiencies so we can work more closely with advisors instead of working on administrative tasks, I realized that having the best next generation CRM system was that. So I think it took a lot of flexibility on your part and honestly on our whole team's part that in many cases we're using the same technology day in and day out for 17 or 18 years to be open to hearing a new perspective and ultimately being amenable to being quite uncomfortable for a period of time in the transition, but seeing that, okay, there's benefit to this. And just like an advisor going through transition, it's going to be disruptive. It's painful. Not everything's perfect. But you do it only because you realize the future version of what you're doing is going to be significantly better than the pain and hassle of making the change in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, it's such an interesting thing because we talk a lot. You and I wrote an article earlier in the year about how we believe it's the next generation that's going to really be the empowerment behind a lot of the decisions that senior advisors make. And I think what that requires more than anything is for the senior leader to be open-minded. To me, going back to the CRM example, the thought of changing technology was beyond overwhelming. In a million years, I never, ever, ever would have thought of doing it. And I'm still not so excited about doing it, even though you've shown me some of the cool benefits of it. Left to my own devices, I would have stuck with this for another 17 years. But being open-minded is probably the most important tip we can give anyone. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. I think that's critical. So from where I sit, it's truly humbling to consider having reached a point in your business life where you're thinking about succession 
and how to create a lasting and sustainable legacy of what you built and nurtured. To me, it's a new beginning for our firm and one I'm really excited about. Diamond Consultants is lucky to have found the next-gen successor to lead us into that new world and decades after, and I wish the same for you. I thank you for listening, and I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.